Okay, this is Mana, and uh, we are on module 15.2, Great Men and Women of the Bible, and tonight we're looking at the life of Nehemiah. Okay, and what, what do you know about Nehemiah? He was Donald Trump of the day. <laughs> He's going to build the walls. Amen to that. Yeah, good he answer. Was businessman. Yeah, he was. He was. What else do we know about him? Anybody? He was held captive in Babylon for a long time. Yes, he was. He was in Babylon for many years. Yep. Anything else? Oh, well, that's good. You'll be. <laughs> he built the wall. He built, he built, the wall. He built what the wall? Around Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah, Jerusalem. okay. Jerusalem. He was a cupbearer for the king, yep. Okay, let's find him in the Bible and let's. Um, Ezra Nehemiah. And we'll have a look and see if we can. Get some things going. Shall we read the first few verses of chapter 1? The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 25th year, while I was in the citadel of Susan, uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So there had been two groups already some 20 years earlier, um, who had gone down uh, to back to Jerusalem from Babylon, and among them was Ezra. And, and the book of Ezra talks about uh, the building of the temple. So Ezra is about the building of the temple, and uh, then Nehemiah went down uh, about mm, 13, 14 years later, and uh, we, we, and he's there because of. Well, we're going to read about it. Hi guys, good on you for making it. Well done. Big brush, eh? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. You all right there? Yes, it's all good. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry, we're late. No. It's school for a long time. Oh. There you go. <laughs> 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 that might be a bit warm for your backside, or you might like it, I don't know. But turn it off when you've had enough. Okay. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you and we've not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you have gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And uh, so that was the background to what happened in this book. And, and, and so we, we find this. Now, now, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, back in, in the Jewish um, text, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. Um, because the, the, this is about uh, the return of the Ezra and Nehemiah, the return of the exiles back to Babylon. Chronologically, this, these two books should have really been put right at the back of the Old Testament. They really are the last two books of the Old Testament chronologically, before the 400 years between the Old and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah and Malachi, Malachi who wrote the last book of the Old Testament, they were contemporaries, they knew each other, they were around at the same time. And so these two books put in before the Psalms should really go right to the back of the Old Testament and be the last two books there because they talk about the, um, the return of the Jews to Jerusalem after they'd been held captive for those 70 years. Uh, so that sort of puts it in, in context. So we, we're really we're focusing uh, more on Nehemiah and, and the giftings that he had and, and the qualities that he had showed to get this job done. Nehemiah, from the notes now, Nehemiah could be prescribed as a leader of leaders. He became aware that his people were in great danger and that the city, his city, had its walls broken down and its gates burned with fire. God took hold of him and used him greatly to fulfill a great purpose. Why did God choose him and what things gave him the tenacity to galvanize the people into action and to finish the task? So, you know, the cities of those days, many of them were walled cities. And, of course, they were there to protect uh, the people from the tribes that were around uh, because there was, they have a, they're at war all the time, these people. And so uh, they had their, their, their walled cities. It would be equivalent to our PARs uh, back in the day where the people would be protected from the other tribes who were trying to take them out. And... Uh, uh, Jerusalem was like that, it had a wall around it, but when the city was sacked and burned to the ground by Nebuchadnezzar 70 years or more before this, uh, they broke down all the walls so that the people could not get protection again. Mm-hmm. So the, the book of Nehemiah is, is about the building this wall and protecting the city, but also underneath that there's also the, the thought, and, and we won't be dealing with this in this series, but it's about uh, the walls of our lives too. Uh, how that, you know, if we aren't built up, uh, the walls of, speak to us of salvation and the gates speak to us of praise. If we're not strong spiritually, then uh, we, we have little, we, we don't have the protection to stop things going in and out of our life. What comes out of our life could just be any old thing. And what comes back into our lives could be any old thing. And we need to be strong in our faith and have the walls built up and be strong in praise uh, to be a, um, a protected man or woman of God. Uh, so the first thing that we notice about uh, Nehemiah was his character was beyond reproach. The fact that he was the king's cupbearer was a very favoured position in the day. Remember, he's a Jewish person and, but, and he's in a, in a, a foreign kingdom uh, they were refugees, but he's worked his way up to be into this very favoured position. And the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible comments, he, Nehemiah, was a cupbearer in the Persian king Artaxerxes, a position of great responsibility and influence. The holder ranked as a high official of the court. In this period, only a man of exceptional trustworthiness would have been given the post. For the father of Artaxerxes had been murdered, and he himself, that's Artaxerxes, had gained the throne by a palace revolution. So the king was a pretty precarious position. And if you were serving the king, you were also in a precarious position. I've been reading a few novels about the, the, the early kings of England and Henry VIII and through that period of time. And if you were in the... the uh, in, in the parliament of the day or in, around uh, in favour with the king or the queen, you weren't very safe because uh, there was a lot of intrigue going on. 
and there was a, as, as you know, a lot of the wives were, were knocked off, and so were the prime ministers of the day and the advisors to the king. When the king went down, everybody went down. And uh, so uh, Nehemiah was like this, and so he had to taste the wine before it was served, because they were always trying to poison these, these fellas. And so while the, uh, the wine taster and the presenter was a favoured position, it could also be a precarious position. So all the food that was served to the king was always tasted first, and all the wine and it was always tasted first before it was presented in case someone had poisoned it. So it was a, sort of a fa- it was a favoured position, but uh, a little bit uh, not too safe. What is character? Character is the inner life of a person. It will reflect either the traits of the sinful nature being influenced by the world or the traits of the divine nature being influenced by the word of God. Character is the combination of qualities distinguishing any person or class of persons. Character is the action of an individual when under pressure. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you you, you surprise yourself when when you get under pressure and all sorts of things come out, you know. Sometimes we get upset, we get upset easily, we, sometimes language comes out, oh no, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, and we, and we, 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 we do things and we think, oh, I should, shouldn't have spoken like that, or I shouldn't have done that, I should have, you know. But under pressure, our character shows up, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, someone said, if you squeeze, squeeze a honeycomb, you get honey. If you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice, you know? And sometimes when we squeeze, it's surprising what comes out of our lives. Character is the action of a person when he is on his own. We know no one else is around him. Character is the sum total of all the negative and positive qualities in a person's life, exemplified by one's thoughts, values, motivations, attitudes, feelings, and actions. In God's economy, character is of the utmost importance. In the secular world, people can be used, promoted, and seen to be great, while devoid of godly character. Just think of all the various sports and movie stars, politicians, celebrities, and business people in this category. They are promoted and esteemed on the basis of their giftings, personalities, and looks, but this is not so in the kingdom of God. It is the qualities of character that propels you and I into God's focus. These attributes will not only bring God's choosing to our lives, but also sustain us throughout the journey of faith to which he calls us. Remember that while charisma can enhance our choice as leaders, especially in the eyes of men, it is character that keeps us in leadership. God's emphasis is more on character than charisma, though both are necessary. So Nehemiah was obviously a man of great character, and as the story unfolds, we see this in, a, in, in his life. He was a man of integrity, and uh, he wasn't perfect. Nobody is, uh, but he was a very, very good man. The second thing about Nehemiah was that he was a man of prayer. Um, he, he, he says, when, I, when we were just read, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept, verse 4 and for, of chapter 1, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, if we're not moved by the situation, we won't be motivated by the, towards the situation. If we, you know, you hear something happening, and we all do time to time, and it doesn't touch us, you know. So, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But every so often, something grabs us and moves us on the inside. And this situation that was in the city of Jerusalem moved Nehemiah to, to a huge extent. Uh, his friends had already gone, many of them, uh, like Ezra, had gone back to Jerusalem. And he, he thinks everything's fine. It wasn't a matter of, you know, getting an email or something like that. And, and people, the communication took months um, to, to hear anything. And so he, he is moved by this and he prays, and he prays the prayer that we've just read, saying, well, Lord, you said that if we forsook you and went our own ways, that you would scatter us. And that's exactly what's happened. Here we are, we brought this upon ourselves, but Lord. And then he says a great key in prayer, he says, but remember what you said. And that's a great key in prayer. And you've heard me speak about that. Uh, to remind the Lord of what he has already spoken brings great faith into our praying. And that's why we, we come back to the word of God, say, Lord, you said, you said this. And he, and he says there in verse 8, remember 
the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But, uh, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That's Jerusalem. If we turn again, you'll bring us back. Remember what you said, Lord. You know, we, we, man, we need to get this city up and running again. And he, he, he prays like that. Um, we, need to be able to, we need to be able to pray. Prayer changes the heart of God. Prayer moves mountains. And if we're going to do something for God, then prayer is involved in it and often is the prerequisite to it. And uh, so it, 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 it's a great thing. I'm reminded in the early days in ministry, went back in Blenheim, where the church was a little small, but a guy came in, and we were praying in, in the little church, and often we would be kneeling and praying, and this guy just walked in, and uh, he just, I said, I saw him, and he just sat down, and then he knelt down, and, and he just didn't say anything, and so we just kept praying for what we're Praying, praying for the town and praying for God to move by his spirit. And then when we got down to the end, he started to pray. And he prayed and just wept his way to, to the Lord. He got saved in the prayer meeting. And nobody spoke to him. Nobody said anything to him. But he knew he needed the Lord. And he told me afterwards that he'd walked up and down with his dog past this little church. And, uh, the, and the God says, you need to go in. And days went by where he walked his dog. Then he saw that there was people there, so he came in and he got saved. But that man became a great prayer warrior. He was born again in the prayer meeting and he was a prayer. And a little while later he said to me, he said, would you, would you join me? He said, I really want to pray for this town and really want to pray that God will move here. And he said, would you join me in prayer in the morning about six o'clock? And I thought, yeah, maybe. <laughs> And I thought, yeah, no, he's, yeah, I, yeah. I, I said, okay, I'll do it. I said, How, when, what day do you want to go for prayer? He said, every day. I said, oh, no, it was something here. <laughs> but we did. We did. We met every morning. Every morning. And uh, others joined us. And uh, that was the pre precursor to God opening the windows of heaven and people getting saved week after week after week after week after week. For 10 years there, before I left, every, once we got the breakthrough, every Sunday people gave their hearts to the Lord. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. And uh, it, was it was birthed in this thing of prayer. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer like that. Um, he, was, he, he was a... He was sent back and he became governor of the, of the, of the city of Jerusalem. And um, he, he was a man, not a, just a, a man of God, not just a man of character, but he was, a, he was obviously a very good facilitator and organiser. And uh, God, God picks the right person with the right giftings to do the right job, yes? It's no use uh, uh, picking me to be the chief chef of the church. Because most people would die of malnutrition um, long before you know we got very far, because that's not where my gifting is yet. And so when God calls someone, when God wants us to do something, He equips us. He, he's, he's already placed those giftings in us. Um, he doesn't expect you know someone with a lousy voice to lead the worship every Sunday. Uh, so this is how it is. Virtually the whole book is evidence of Nehemiah's ability to decide what needed to be done first. This was doubtless the outcome of wisdom received through prayer. And he prays and he gets down to the city and in verse 11 of chapter 2 he inspects the walls. He said, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. 
Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate, and the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So he does, he, he, he prepares properly. He goes and has a, what is the job that you've called me to do, Lord? What is the task that you have for me? Hallelujah. And he does his homework, and he goes and has a look at the problem, and gets a picture in it, and, and gets it in his spirit, and has a look and says, okay, this is the job. This is a big job we've got here. These walls are broken down. Now we need to get a plan together. We need to get organized, and we need to work out how we can do this. But of course, um, the book is, is the story of how he dealt with opposition. You know, as soon as you start to move towards the purposes of God, there's one person around who does not, is not happy about that, and that's the old devil himself. So he fires up his, his little angels, his little demonic angels, and causes trouble, and usually happens through people. And uh, so here uh, we find that these guys begin to uh, fight him and try and discourage him and try and say, nah, you'll never get this job done, eh? No, you, no you, you might think you're going to do something, but you're not. You're useless, you, 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 and, they, and they just rubbish him and what he's trying to do. But this is how he handles opposition, and I've put down five things here that we can see that he handles opposition, and we can learn from these things ourselves, because as sure as eggs are eggs, when you want to do something good for God, there will come opposition. Chapter 2, 19 and verse 20 so uh, verse uh, 18 before says that they let us they replied let us start rebuilding so they began this good work but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it they mocked and ridiculed saying what's this you're doing they asked you're rebelling against the king but notice what he says here I answered them by saying the God of heaven will give us success and that's we've got to come back to that don't we no, God's asked me to do this. So you guys can say what you want and do what you're going to do, but God is in this. So I'm going to trust God. God will give us success, you see. And that was his answer. He relates everything back to God. Over in chapter 4 and verse 11 to 15, it says, Our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near there came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack. And so I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I'd looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so when the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. And so we find that he says, no, God is at work with me. And we've got to count on God being with us, yeah? Mm. You know, when, when God is say, Lord, you, you asked me to do this, and I'm doing it, and you've got to help me. Look at all this problem that I've stirred up now. Now, you know, what, you know you've got to help me here. This was your idea to build the wall. This is what Nehemiah said. This is your idea, Lord, to, to build the wall. You've sent me here to do this. You've given me favour. And, and now I'm, I'm, I'm under pressure. So, Lord, please step in. He just kept building the wall. Over in chapter 6, the second thing why he came over opposition is by keeping to his priorities. When word came to Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. He said, they said, come on, we need to talk about this. Come on, man, we need, on the, come down and have a talk with us. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. See, the, the, the challenge is, you know, he said, Why don't, these guys said, come down, we need to talk about this. 
And he said, no, I'm not. He said, come and talk in the valley of Ono. And he said, oh no, I'm not coming down. <laughs> he said, I'm doing it. And, and, you know, things mount up and we tend to, oh, we've got to stop. We've got to stop what we're doing. No, we don't. We just keep going. Just keep going. Even if you slow down a bit, just keep going. And uh, God blesses us when we do that. He said, no, I'm not stopping what I'm doing to, 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 to have a natter with you guys because they were, only, they were going, probably going to kill him anyway. So he overcomes them also, the third thing, by discerning the motives to know what it is. You know, sometimes you don't know what it is. You don't know whether it's the devil. You don't know whether it's just you, know, you need to be a bit more kind. You need to be a bit more whatever. And, and, and is this you, Lord, or is this the demons, or is this this just my my way of thinking? You know, we don't know. But he was smart. He was able to discern what it was. It says in verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, They were scheming to harm me. So he, 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 he knew that they were up to no good. In verse 10, it says, look at this incident. One day of chapter 6, verse 10, one day I went down to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let's meet in the house of God. Well, he wouldn't go down to the valley of Ono. So they said, oh, come, and meet, come and meet in the house of the Lord. And we'll have a bit of a talk about what you're doing. And so, so, so he said, let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. You need to hide in the temple because there's some fellows that are trying to murder you and, uh, and you need to hide in the temple. Otherwise, they're going to kill you. And they threatened, you know, and his life was threatened. It was these guys that were trying to kill him. So I, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And I realised that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So here's even the church is trying to kill him off. He says, come and we'll have a talk. You, you, they're going to kill you, so come and hide. He said, no, I'm not. I've got a job to do. But he, see, he realised that God had not sent him. And sometimes to be successful, we need to be able to discern what it is that's going on. Not just to be naive, but to know uh, what is actually happening in the realm of the spirit, not just in the natural things. Um, in chapter 6 and verse 5, he confronts lies. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and his hand was un an unsealed letter in which was written, It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. <laughs> you know, oh, poor old Nehemiah, he's just trying to do the job. And now these fellas are saying, well, oh, we know what you're up to. We're, you're trying to plot, you're trying to build this wall so that you can rebel against the, the kings of Persia and, and so you don't have to pay taxes and, and, and you're, you're, gonna, you're plotting evil and we know what you're up to and, and then you're going to make yourself king of this area. And, uh, and even have, uh, you've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. We need to talk about this. And I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now, Lord, strengthen my hands. So he's, he's you know, this is how, you know, when you get discouraged, when you get uh, under pressure uh, and you're, you're thinking, oh, I just need to quit, this is too hard. Or people are saying stuff about you. You say, well, goodness me, you know, we just need to keep going. We don't need to discuss it with the, with the enemy. We just need to keep working. And that's what he did. He just kept building. Chapter 4 and verse 6, what does it say there? So we rebuilt the wall 
So he's under pressure. Tobiah and all these guys are saying, in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Look at them, they're hopeless. But we just kept building. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Verse 21 says, So we continued to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. So half of them had spears and swords, and the other half were keeping building. See? In chapter 6 and verse 3, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Verse 8, nothing like what you were saying is happening. You're just making up in your head. And so he says, Lord, strengthen my work, hands for the work. And verse uh, 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. So he gets the whole job done in a very short space. of time. But he had to overcome opposition. And you and I, you know, just, just keep walking with God. Just keep going. You say, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not making much progress. Just keep going going and, and, and God will bless you another thing about Nehemiah he has a deep concern for his people in chapter 5 uh, we read about how that the, 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 the women folk and, they said, and, and the men the Jewish people said hey we're getting ripped off here we're poor they were refugees they didn't have much money they're back in Jerusalem and, and and they're saying, our, our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. And others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we're of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. See, they were charging, they were charging. Even the, the Jewish people, you know, they're, they're mean as the Jewish people. They're known to make a dollar or three if they can. And uh, so they were, even as refugees, they were lending out, the ones that had money were lending it out to the other poor guys and charging them exorbitant interest, which was they were not allowed to do under the law. And they were, if you you can't pay, well, hey, you're gonna, we'll take your sons and your daughters. They can become our servants and our slaves. And, and they couldn't do anything about it. And uh, so Nehemiah got mad. When I heard their outcry, I was very angry. And uh, he, he gets to it. But he, he shows here he's got a concern for people. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Number six, he was not afraid to take on responsibility. He takes on this huge project. And I said to the king, chapter 2, verse 5, If it pleases the king and your servant has found favour in his sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my fathers. But then the king says, yes, okay, I'll do that. He says, how long are you going to be? He says, I don't know how long I'm going to be. This is in chapter 2. Um, and, and, and he says, uh, if it pleases the king, verse 7, if it pleases the king, he said, uh, may I have letters to the governor of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct till I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, who will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the city by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So, you know, here he is. And uh, God gives us favour in the sight of others when we, are, uh, just, uh, when we are fulfilling the purposes of God. You know, when you see the favour of God and you, you're needing help, press in there. If you get help once, press in again because there'll be people to help again. And, and we just need to, you know, know, know that God is on our case. And once we, once we see that, we need to believe God for the best. Believe God to provide, and he will provide. Um, so he, the king gives him favour. Number seven, he knew how to encourage and inspire other people to accomplish the task. 
In other words, in today's jargon, he knew how to establish goal ownership. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he he had spoken to me. Uh, The things that God asks us to do Success comes from involving other people. You can't, you can't do the great jobs on your own. In fact, you can do very little on your own. But the vision holder, which Nehemiah was, he had the vision for the thing, but he couldn't build the wall himself, obviously. He had to motivate and inspire a whole bunch of other people. And he, he did that by saying, look, this is what I've come to do. And they're saying, because this is, this is a huge problem to the people. No snow walls, and the walls, it was just a reproach. All the gates were burned with fire. They couldn't stay. Anyone could just raid them and rob them, anything. You know, it was, it was a, a, a desperate situation. And so he said, look, this is what we want to do. And often it takes someone with a dream, with a vision, and to just come into the area and just say, yes, this can be done. And everyone said, oh, no, it can't. It's too hard. I remember when I left Blenheim after 13 years there in ministering. And there was the old couple that were there when I first arrived. And uh, when I was leaving, they, I went round and had a meal. We had a meal with them. And she said to me, she said, she said, we never dreamed anything like this could happen. You know. Uh, you know, in those, uh, those last 10 years, we baptised over 500 people in the river, always down the old Wairau River, summer or winter. And, and hundreds came to the Lord. And, uh, and, and she said to me, we never do And the Holy Spirit said, that's why it never happened up till, up till you arrived. Because I came in with a dream. I, I believed it. I believe God wanted to build his church. I believe God wants to save people, yes? And, and this inspired others, and, and, and people got involved and excited about it. And you tell them, this is what God has spoken to me about. And, and it, it inspires and encourages others to get going. And they all did. And, and the great thing about this is everybody built their site bit of the wall. If you go through chapter 3 and you find all the different, this one, this family go, builds this bit of the wall, the guys next to them build their bit, the guys next to them build their bit, the next one, they set the gates up, the next one, they go to the next bit of wall, family after family, group, one after another, got cracking and built the wall. That is how the church is built. It's not built by an individual. It's it's built by people building their house and building by their house and in their circle uh, of influence. And so they they build this and it talks about all of them that were building. And it's it's a great thing. And that's how the wall was done. And, and, And everyone shared in it. And he inspired them. And then when they got opposition, they said, oh, no, we can't keep, oh, this is, we can't keep going. People say, you'll never get this job done. These guys said, well, that's a dumb wall. You guys, you don't even, you don't even know how to build walls. Here's the jewellers, the, the family of jewellers and things like that. They're building their wall. And, and Sam Balakam says, that's a useless wall. If the foxes jump on it, it's going to fall down. And they said, no, no, we just keep going. We're just going to do it. And they get some help and advice and they, they build their wall. You know, if you build your family, and I build my family, and you build your friends, and I build my friends, and encourage them and build them up, then the wall gets built. The church gets built. It gets encouraged and, and, and built. And so you know, those scriptures go through and say the people just built against their house, someone else built against their house, and so on and so forth. Right, we're going to have a cuppa in a minute. And then we will have, just have a wee break and just have a few minutes after that. So is the jug a few minutes so? Yes. Thanks. Dear my love the city. We, we, we must have a love for the place that God places us. Um, Jeremiah 29 verse 7. What does it say? 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Those of you who were there on Sunday, you've heard me speak about this. And it's interesting that it comes up again tonight um, in in our study. But, you know, Nehemiah loved the city of Jerusalem. And uh, we need to ask God to put a real love for this town in our hearts. A real love for the people. A real love for this area. The far north area. I know most, many of us have got it. Got that. We love it. We, we, we're concerned about it. And we love it. And uh, so we need, to, we need to pray. If, we, if we're not moved, if we, if we don't care, then nothing much happens, I've discovered. It's until I'm moved to pray. It's until I'm moved to, to do something. You know, the great things of social work and the things that, and the way we're involved with different families, different, you move with their heart, with their story. You move when you see it, you think, oh my goodness. You know, um, and uh, we need to carry something of that in our town. You know, when we were, and I shared on Sunday morning, um, when we were singing that song, Send the Light, Send the Light. And I could see it. All of a sudden, just a video is playing in my mind. I'm just worshipping God. But in my mind, I'm seeing people all over this town calling out to God, Lord, send the light. Send the light. We're singing it as a church, Lord. But we are the light. And people are wanting, wanting to hear the gospel. They are wanting to hear uh, that there is a hope. They sit in darkness. They don't know what to do, where to go. And I would see all these people, house after house after house, and people sitting there in despair and all sorts of dark situations. And there's a cry in many of their hearts, send me somebody. Send somebody to me. Help me. What do I do in these sort of situations? And uh, uh, Nehemiah carries the sort of concern for the city. Okay, let's stop there, and then we'll come back to it in a minute. Part 2 of Module 15.2 on Nehemiah, great men of the Bible. Point number 9. Nehemiah knew the power of unity. Nehemiah loved his people. It is hard to accomplish things in the church if you don't like people. Hey. One, one uh, pastor in, in, one, of, in the, uh, one of the Elam churches, he was out there, and he wasn't doing very good, and his church wasn't growing, and I went out to visit him and, and, and have a natter with him. And I said, what do you do on a Sunday? And uh, what, do you, what do you do during the week? And he told me all the things. All he, all he did was, 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 was administ- he was a great administrator. So he'd sit in his office and administrate. And I said, well... What about going and visiting the people and going and saying hi and having a few cups of coffee and getting around and seeing the people? That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Oh, he said, I don't really like people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really get on with people. I thought, what the heck is he doing pastoring? (laughs) Needless to say, his church never did get off the ground, you know. But it can be like that, eh? That we, you know, people, people matter. Church is all about God and people. Church is about, you know, people. God loves people, and uh, people love God. And church is about bringing the two together. When people come to the meetings on a Sunday, they really they want to meet with God. They might not identify that unless I've told them. <laughs> but they, they, they don't, they don't want to. They want to. They come. They want to worship God. Yes. They don't want to just sing a couple of songs. They want to worship God. They want to hear from God. They don't mind who's preaching, as long as they hear from the Lord, and and the Holy Spirit can speak. You know, through anybody. And we come to hear the word of the Lord. We come to hear from God, and it's like that. You know, when I came back from the Arise conference, I said to the guys, what did God say to you? Because it's no use going to a whole lot of meetings unless you're hearing what God's saying. I, that's what I, I, I want to I wanna hear from the Lord. I want to worship the Lord. I come, I bring my, I'm not bringing my money just to, to, to church. I'm bringing my money. It's my 
tithe and my offering to the Lord. This is what I've earned. I bring this to the Lord. That's why we do it. That's the first thing that goes out of my account is that money. It's the first part, but I've decided to give to the Lord and I bring it on a Sunday and I give it. Hallelujah. It's part of my worship to the Lord. And, and it's about people. I want to be with people. I like people most of the time. <laughs> hey, you know? And, 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 and so it's like, and Nehemiah was like, he knew the power of unity. In chapter 5, which we read before, Nehemiah deals with the Israelite people who were using the opportunity among the poor to enslave them and demand heavy interest from loans that the poor people had to take out just to eat. This was creating great disunity among them. To accomplish much, unity is essential. You know, so, so um, you know, without unity, and, and what happens in church life, this is, is an observation over being involved with churches for 50 years or so, or more, uh, that, that if there's unity at the top, that church will function. If there's not unity at the top, it doesn't take much to tip the thing over. And so, so this, this is a great thing. And, and, and Nehemiah says, man, these people are arguing against each other. The one's trying to get interest out of this people. They're taking, this, this family's taking this family's kids as servants and not paying them into slavery. And, and this fella is saying, well, well you, want, oh, you run out of food, have you? Well, look, I can loan you some money for some food and, and you'll just have to pay 25% interest. And he's, you know, and so on and so forth. And this is bringing disunity. He couldn't build the wall with that sort of problem in it. He had to solve it and deal with it. Psalm 133 says, what? Where the people... No. Yeah, come on. You know it. You'll know as soon as I read it. Here it comes. Where the people dwell in unity. Where, oh, wait a minute, I'll get it just the right way. How good and how pleasant it is. When brethren dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's like as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Where does the Lord bestow his blessing? Where there is unity. Where there is harmony. It's the same in, 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 in families. It's the same at home. It's, it's, you can't do much if all the time, if Sophie and I are at each other's throats all the time, how much blessing are we going to be? <laughs> Not much. We're too busy solving our own problems, <laughs> let alone yours or anybody else's. So, so unity becomes very important. Genesis 11, verse 6, uh, they were building what? The Tower of Babel. And God makes this remarkable statement in verse 6. The Lord come down, verse 5 of Genesis 11, to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said... If one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And mother, you saw the power of unity. He said, if they get together and decide to do things in unity, nothing will be impossible to them. And churches are something like that. Boy, you've got unity, you've got, you've got a fair agreement, then uh, things can happen. And so Nehemiah knew the power of this and... Uh, and so it becomes very important. He loved people. <laughs> we need to love the people and see that we live in harmony. Number 10. I thought this was interesting. Um, in, in chapter 5 and verse 14 to 16. Now I've lost Nehemiah now. Where is he? Before Job. Here he is. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 14. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. 
But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All of my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. In other words, he wasn't in a position to do very well out of this. And he could have put on any tax, he was the governor, he could have put any tax on the people that he, he decided because he had the edict from the king. Whatever he needed, he, he, he could raise the money or whatever. He could have bought a lot of land. Remember, people were selling land. People were desperate for food. He could have really gathered a whole lot for himself and a leader. But he's a smart leader. And he doesn't, he doesn't um, acquire things. He doesn't gather things to himself. He is content with what he is being paid and, and he doesn't take advantage of his situation. Sometimes leaders can use their position to feather their own nests. We see this in politicians, don't we? Especially in other countries. And um, Nehemiah did not fall for this trap of the enemy. We see it often, uh, I've seen it in the Pacific Islands quite a bit, you know. Boy, there's, there's, it's under the hand here. In Indonesia, it's like that. You can't get anywhere in Indonesia unless you're paying under the table. You can't just about get out of the airport. You can't, you can't if you've got to change your flight, and they'll just sit there, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we have, we have uh, no, there's no flights available. Uh, very sorry about that, sir. Um, and uh, you just have to wait till next week. And... Um, but um, I'm sorry that you've missed your flight, but, but there's nothing else going. So they say, well, surely there must be a flight. Well, I've looked it up and there's actually no flight. And so what, if you're desperate, what you have to do, what they're saying is when you put your ticket over, you put some money in it and put it over the counter. See? And when you do that, he looks and says, I'll just have another look. And he finds a flight. And you say, thank you very much. But it's, it's like that. And all through these countries, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking. <laughs> but that's how it is. But Nehemiah was not like that. He did not take advantage of his privileged position and, and uh, tie the people down. Um, he could see God's answer. He saw the broken wall and the burned gate. He heard about it. His mate came back from Jerusalem and said, oh, how's things back in Jerusalem? In chapter 1, we read about that. And he said, well, he said, it's terrible. He said, the people are poor. And, 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 and the, he said, what about the temple? Well, the temple's been built, but man, the wall's all broken down. The gates are burned with fire. Anybody just walks in through the gate, through over the rubble and into the city. Robbers are coming. It's a hopeless situation. And, uh, and he, he, he sees the broken wall, but he could see what God could do. While all you can see are the problems and difficulties, you will never be of any use to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't involve with problems. He involves himself with answers. I have... I, when, again, here's another great key to prayer. See the answer. What is the answer? Don't keep pestering God with a jolly problem. It doesn't take any faith to see the problem. You can see it. Everybody else can see the problem. But when you come before the throne of God, God wants you to see the answer because faith deals with answers, not the present problem. It deals with the future. I got a, I got a, um, I got a photo on here and uh, came from my son, one of my sons, and his, his daughter went to the school ball. And uh, got a, I've got a beautiful photo of this 17 year old girl 17 year old girl and um, uh, two years ago she was in trouble she was in difficulties and uh, so um, I thought oh Lord I need to pray for my granddaughter I said Lord what what's, what do I pray and I felt to pray I said uh, so I, I began to pray and my, my this is my prayer still is I said, Lord, I see this girl, I'm, and I'm asking you for this, and I'm declaring this. I want to be sitting in the church 
and seeing this granddaughter come down the aisle with a Christian man by her side, or going to meet a Christian man standing at the front, yeah? I want to see that. And I have consistently just said, Lord, when I pray for this granddaughter, I say, Lord, I just thank you that one day I'll be sitting in church and I'll be seeing her, her and her Christian husband, yes, coming down the aisle. And granddad will be there. Hallelujah. Say, hallelujah, Lord. Another prayer answered. And I got this photo. And she hasn't been interested in boys really till just recently. And she's, John has turned up. And John is the nicest guy I've met a few times. But he's not a Christian yet. And how I've got a picture. They went to the school ball together. And here she is. She's dolled up. She's got a man by her side. I said, stage one, Lord, thank you. <laughs> whether he's a keeper or not but I, this was the fulfilment of my prayer started yeah and it's first stages yeah because that's what I want to see for her in particular yes and, and, and so there it is but he, he's coming to church this guy can't keep away and now she's, she's praying with him and uh, he's if he's going to be a keeper he's on the skids into the kingdom of God, hallelujah. If he's not, though, I mean, you know, pup, it's, it's probably just puppy love at the moment. But he says, well, it's just puppy love, don't worry about it. Yeah, but it's puppy love is very real to the puppies, yeah? <laughs> and so, anyway. But that's a prayer, praying the answer, yes. So he prays. You can see the problems, the bad things, but we can also see the answer. I love this far north area. God has placed me here, and so God has placed us here, as you heard on Sunday, again, <laughs> because it's real to me. And I have a love for this area. And I want to see people saved in this area. And my vision, when I walk into church, hallelujah, what do I see? I see it packed to capacity. With people that have been born again of the Spirit of God and worshipping God, hallelujah, and being New families, new generations starting, and hallelujah. And I still also have a, a bit of a dream that we're going, going, I want to see us going and filling that centre right up, this Turner Centre, the main auditorium, packed to capacity, and, and, and believe with, 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 with worshipping people. And they're coming in one by one. I wish it was 10 by 10, <laughs> but it's not at the moment. But one by one's all right. One by one, one by one, one by one. Sophie, I watch Sophie. She just, she's remarkable. Someone comes to the Lord, and the lady does, you know, when I, who was preaching recent covenants, and I, so I got up at the end, and I said, if you, is anyone here wants to give their heart to the Lord? And she goes, yes. See? Now Sophie's walking with her now. And there's another young uh, man, and, and, and he's coming uh, as well. Uh, next week he's starting out in foundations again. He got saved a couple of weeks back and, and now he's bringing his daughter as well. And, and one by one they're coming. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. But would to God it was 10 by 10 by 10. Hallelujah. Or 2 by 2 by 2 will do. <laughs> then 3 by 3 by 3. 4 by 4. But, but I love this town. I love the area. I want to see people come to Jesus. Yes? Because he's the answer, isn't he? You know? Can we see the answer? I see a glorious church, large and spirit-filled, and packing this town and the surrounding areas. Right over the page, last thing. After the wall is completed, when the task of building the wall was completed, Nehemiah set about re-establishing worship and the teaching of the law. Ezra turns up. Well, <laughs> that's a wrong. You can cross that out. Ezra got there well before Nehemiah. So I don't know why I put that. I wrote that just in the last minute, but it's not right because Ezra was already in there. Between Ezra and himself, they established the reading of the law and re-establishing the great Jewish festivals. Finally, the wall is dedicated with great singing and with great music. Then he is not backward in dealing with some of the men who had married foreign wives, which was against the law. Did you read that bit? What did he do to them? He said, this is not going to go on. He likes unity, does this man. Anyone who didn't like it was in a bit of a trouble. Chapter 13 and verse 25. This is what he did. I laughed when I read this. I thought, good on you. He says, half of the children, moreover, verse 23, I, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, 
or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. So I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you're not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons and for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, and he went on and on and on. And uh, they said, oh, okay, good idea. Quite right. But he, what did he say? I laughed. He said, I called curses down on them. I beat some of the men, pulled out their hair. Don't you dare do that. I think we needed some of that in the church, don't we? No, we might come next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would. You'd come back to see the next lot get dealt with. <laughs> Man, there'd be a queue out the door, I reckon. <laughs> but uh, that was his zeal, wasn't he, for the house of God. He just wanted things done right and wasn't afraid to pitch in and say, look, this is how it is. Let's sort, let's sort things out here. <laughs> so that's Nehemiah. 